my magic still won't work. He was slinging pawns at a B&B &B when he had an epiphany. And they complained about time too, about not playing the ND. It was free for all, and I heard him say he bought my borderlands. But just sit back and let Spencer do his trick, cause you're incapable AMs. Hello and welcome back to Keep Off the Borderlands. My name's Spencer, aka Freethrall, and this is the concluding part of my conversation with Barney Dicker of Loco Ludus, wherein we discuss the use of magic, essentially shamanism, in the alluvial plane setting that me, Barney, Dave Sermon, and quite possibly Tom Barbelay are working on for Barney's Vantage Dice Pool system. And along with that concluding part of the conversation, I've already had feedback concerning the previous two episodes, which I would also like to share. But first, let's get back to where me and Barney left off in the last episode. So I was thinking, Spencer, that we could we could finish up by speculating wildly in light <laughs> of all of this how we think what different ideas or approaches we could have to test out a new approach to the magic. Mm, yeah. Or, or, or um, this could be things that you've already you know, you've already discussed in your in your working documents that we haven't discussed so far as well. Let's have a, a quick look at that. Agenda. Agenda. Yes, it's probably all very exciting listening to me uh, trying to find my notes. It can't, it can't be more exciting than than you and I both simultaneously looking through the Electric Bastion Land rulebook <laughs> to find uh, rules. That we couldn't find. Just, uh, yeah, just waiting for this folder to open. The tension is mounting. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not sure if there's any real revelations. Nothing too shamanic. Is that what you, that's what you're saying? Nothing overly shamanic. <laughs> so we talked about it being kind of more a cultural phenomenon. This idea of it binding the tribe, I do like that. Um, and that perhaps, different tribes would struggle to understand the behaviours of each mm -hmm. other in that mm -hmm. respect. Mm -hmm. And that would be an interesting place for conflict to arise. Mm. Or even, as well, if they have uh, shared locales or shared yes. uh, resources which have different or even very similar functions. Um what I mean is then, you know, who who gets to go where, when, and who gets to use what, when. Uh, so mm. you could have two burials, 
you know, that both use the same burial site, um, but from different groups, and they have different routines, and, for example. Yes, yes. Although I kind of, I wonder how that would develop in the sense that it suggests there would be conflict from the off if two tribes were trying to use the same burial ground. Well, it would be, it would be a, a disastrous, it would be a disastrous double funeral. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and probably, yeah, lead to many more. I mean, um, you know, if, 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 if these ideas about, um, clan meets are, yes, are, yeah. are true, then it's not inconceivable that you would have, um, some communal burial ground. So, uh, you know, you and I could be distant relatives and we are being taken to our ancestral burial place. Mm. But I, but I live in a different tribe and you live in a different tribe after a generation or two. And, uh, and it just so happened that we died on the same day at the same hour. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm literally <laughs> making this up. And it's, of course, just for any listeners that might think it's, it's true or real, it's not. Uh, we're just making this up and we're still alive, aren't we? Yes, we are indeed. I really like that, Spencer. I thought, I thought your ideas about, which we, which came up in the, your last episode, didn't it? I think your ideas about giving tribes particular shamanic disciplines or arts, distinctive practices mm. is yeah. really great. I mean, that, that's, that's had, that's led me to some thoughts. Shall I quickly rattle them off or, or do you want to add? No, please that? do. Please okay. do. I'm just going to say that I think, I feel it sort of, it does tie in with your approach to, um, generating tribes. Mm, so, so precisely to that point, um, we've got this little tribal creation process that uses the dice. Um, and so, for example, I was thinking if you had, if you rolled two of each color, right, two of the following, two gray, two green and two blue, and you kept the, uh, the two highest results, if you had gray and gray, you would have a mountain people. If you had a grey green, you might have a plains people. If you got a blue blue, or if you got a blue blue or a green blue, you might have a lake or a river people, an alluvial people. Mm. So that might be quite good to have that uh, additional probability to have blue blue or blue green. If you had blue-grey, they would be a sea people on account of the cliffs and so on. Right, and yeah. if you had green-green, they would be a forest people. And so I was, I was thinking that from, from that would, would come, you could, the next step could be different types of cosmology or cosmogony or whatever it would be. Um, 
different types of origin myths, mm. different types of uh, of privileged materials or locales, mm. yeah, which would precisely generate those kinds of clashes that you were talking about. Mm. Um, I was also thinking about then that magical materials or shamanic materials. So I kind of started coming up with a list of what those would be, and that probably treads a little bit on the toes of what you've got, but just really basic things that people could stick together, mm. even quite crudely, to generate something. And I know that, yes, the instantaneous spell slinging is to be avoided, but I quite like the idea of someone taking a moment where there's where they remain hidden to just dig up a bit of clay mud and to shove in some feathers and some blood and some fur or something i don't know what and creating a little ball mm. that that they can i don't know throw secrete you know, and, and I'm thinking there for a moment, I'm thinking of, of, uh, of, of, of the thumpers that they use in Dune for some reason. Right. You know, yeah. and they, they, they put this decoy, this decoy sound somewhere else so that mm. they can be at a safe remove and the worm goes to the decoy and then they jump on it. Right. Yes. Yes. I for example. I... Mm. Um. Sorry for cutting you off there. No, no. But then, but then to perhaps lean back to what Colin's talking about, we might have time limited things or space limited. You know, do they only, does that, does that ball of stuff only function when it is put in the eagle's nest? Hmm. You know, maybe it's eagle feathers and some sinew guts from something, and it it's just it's just there to to throw the the eagle off its normal routine. Yeah, yeah, some kind of disruptive influence of some kind. And I think that was very much what occurred in that first session where I yeah. was trying to quickly sort of. I don't know, carve something while I sat behind a rock. Yeah. The sort of improvisational um, totem. So, so I wonder whatever. if so one poss- one mechanical possibility to that would be that your your character there scratching something into a rock. Um, you you basically do that. We probably would roll for it, but then then what if we need to roll for the for the object? So it's no longer the person performing it. We 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 then have a role for the object. Well, I, I, either either you do that or you roll for the almost like a, a saving throw for the people mm. who encounter the object mm. to see whether they are influenced by it or whether they, you know, pay it no mind at all. Yes. Yes, that's yes. So 
that would that would I can imagine that working without too much mm. too much trouble. So you know, if if we took that, that would solve the the production of material objects. But what it doesn't do is solve psychic objects or or you know mental powers, mental will. It would yeah. require everything to take on a physical form. Like chanting. Chanting, if you just wanted to chant, we could treat the sound in that same way, which would then engender a saving throw on whoever received it. But, mm. but what if it was something more immaterial? Would That's where we get into the kind of the spell slinging again, I feel. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and I'm wondering if I'm trying to think of an example of something immaterial that would have an effect, like a like a vision or something, or a, yeah, um, I mean, I mean, in a sense, I think those visions are quite harmless. Yes, um, they're like insight rolls or mm. something, and and they're not. They're not impacting the world. And that actually is another thing that Tom talks about. Uh, he, he felt that the magic was impacting the world far more than other things. Yes. And that yeah. comes back to exactly what you're talking about, about this feeling of controlling nature. So I suppose I wonder if a, if, if a vision is more like you're pulling some threads towards you. Yes, yeah. So it's it's kind of coming into you rather than you depositing something that's going to ricochet. Yes, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's internal, it's, hmm. Let's, um, let's say I would like to blind you for a moment. Right. And throwing a posy at you and I'm no. not... <laughs> And I'm not chanting at you. I'm, I'm willing. I'm willing blindness, a darkness. Yes, a willing you, yes, to not see something. Yeah. Mm. Is 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 that too too powerful? Like an illusion. Um. Tom had that thing where he he wanted to protect himself, and he had success at a cost and so the, the the way we played it was that he his he he was identified by the subterraneans but he was recognized as being one of them right yes so yeah mistaken identity um i now guess I, you I, could, I quite yeah. like that sorry i, mm, I thought yes, that, I was, that was a nice way to have success at a cost mm, yeah yeah um and I wonder if it would be, yeah, it would come into the realms of the the target being distracted, perhaps, by something else that would have the same effect as mm-hmm. not being able to, you know, see what you were trying to conceal. But let's if we stick with Tom's example for a moment. You know, he wanted to mm-hmm. lick the walls, the, the phosphorescence of the yes. walls, and all this kind of thing. Um, 
you know, it could be that that by doing that, he started to give off uh, subterranean pheromones or very, yeah. very similar types of pheromones. And because their eyesight is so bad, or maybe the way that they see things is so bad, and, and that they, they operate primarily by smell, those subterraneans thought that he must somehow belong to them. Yes, yes. I, the only thing I would say is that, that, you know, there's a lot of hindsight here that may not be present in the, the at the time there's, you know, the sort of the improvisational nature of play. Mm-hmm. You may you may struggle to to find that kind of perfect excuse, as it were, I guess, for things well, playing well, out see, the way they did. But you see, for me, for me, in the the the, the one thing that I that I've really kept hold of, which 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 I understood as being the core logic that we had, was that everything could have a mundane explanation yes as as well as a supernatural one yeah so so in in my mind i didn't when when that when we negotiated that occurrence in the game i didn't have to come up with no a huge uh explanation as to how it worked because it just seemed it seemed like something that that was weird but plausible Yes. Yeah. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering if my response to what occurred in that session was based more down to my lack of imagination in the moment of like, <laughs> how, how can that have happened? You know? Um, so yes, okay, so it could be, it's maybe it's me that's broken, Barney. <laughs> can you, can you write a system for me? <laughs> With punch cards, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I'll send you a late birthday card with some holes punched out of it. <laughs> um, I mean, but but I think I think we need to bounce all of that back into what is it that the sh- the shaman can do? What what is the scope of their activity? Um, so so whilst we we can readily accept that some things might be physical and some things might be sonic. Uh, and other things might be just more subtle in some way. We've got to we've got to make sure that that end effect doesn't seem, as Tom puts it, cumulatively too much. And that that could be banked up in the on the success scale, but mm. Tom rolled success at a price. And sometimes, in some situations, I have a bit of a problem with that because I think, well, shit, they've just they've just succeeded again. But I have to come back to the fact that getting nothing is an outright fail. We can we can work with that, you know, when your bow broke. Yes. Um, but the the success at a price. I think what I like about that is that it escalates the stakes of the game. So in Tom's situation, he was basically welcomed in to the cannibal's hearth. Mm. And he's sitting there 
hanging out with them and at any moment perhaps the enchantment is broken and i knew that the that the shaman upstairs would be coming down at some point and wouldn't be buying any of it so 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 that to me was an escalation of mm. of the peril so every time somebody succeeds at a cost i'm rubbing my hands because <laughs> we're failing we're failing forwards but the the stakes are always uh always ramping up yeah um, yeah um escalating um i'm very aware that we've been talking for a good old time yes I've, we I've have got, yes. i've got one more little thing really uh well two more little things can you can you tolerate it yeah i'm sure i yeah. can can you entertain it i said like i i can i ask my wife <laughs> well okay yeah no, i'm joking right, so um Building on the kind of the, the tribal roles and stuff like that, the most obvious one to me was: is your shamanic system solar or lunar? Yeah. So, so if you go and do something, if your if your shamanic system, which I'm imagining is your kind of idea of a shared thing, if if you go and do something at night and you are a lunar tribe, then you're going to get some kind of bonus. Okay, yeah. Then, of course, do you privilege equinox or solstice? Maybe mm. that. Which seasons are most important? Yes. And, and of course, that would come in through maybe campaign play. Um, you know, wh- where would we get to in, in an adventure, in a campaign, as we approach autumn? And your tribe is an autumn focus centric tribe. Mm. You know, yeah. what's, what happens there? Um, maybe that then also has to do with birth time of, you know, seasonal birth time. So maybe that's where you could get some individual inflection. Um, you know, so, so, so to differentiate the, the, the characters within the group, maybe seasons would help with that. Yeah, uh, I like that. then I thought, are they, are they more, do they have more affinity with plants or animals? And then I was thinking about the very simple elemental signs, the alchemical signs, earth, air, water and fire. And I thought that fire would always be available. That's, if you like, a fundamental trait of humanity. So the question is, is the tribe an earth, air or water tribe in conjunction with fire? For some reason, the sound breaks up here, possibly due to the sheer excitement and the realisation of the possibilities that Barney's idea offers up. Anyway, back to the conversation. So I look forward to hearing what things come out of your marvellous marble machine. (laughs) Um, Okay, here's the last thing, Spencer. This is the big one. This is the big one that I think I've only told myself in private conversation. Well, I mentioned that I have this crazy, interesting idea. This is the crazy, interesting idea. And I think it's a little bit inspired by Colin. Uh, But it's but it jumps off in a completely different direction. Okay, here it is. One of the players takes on the role of the guardian spirit of the tribe and the group oh that's interesting Mm. so what 
So there's basically minimal connection between the two. But of course, the spirit has the aerial view on them and they will be trying to influence the world. And the, the, the other players, of course, can appeal to their spirit and try and encourage them to, uh, to do certain things or to help them or to, to, yeah, to commune with them. And maybe sh the shaman on the ground are, are better able to do that. Or perhaps they are the ones that could be possessed by the spirit of the tribe mm. should yeah. that succeed. Mm. But, of course, that's fraught with difficulties because the, the spirit has to succeed and that should be very hard for the spirit to actually influence things. But not so much that the spirit feels bored and frustrated um, in the game. Um, what I thought could be some interesting mechanics, a bit like in Cthulhu, where um, if the spirit wants to possess a character, and they could, of course, possess a, a, a baddie character or an animal or something. Mm. Um, if, if they want to do that and you want to be possessed by the spirit, you have to fail. You have to fail your save roll. Right. So it, like in Cthulhu, it's like when you do your, your sanity check, you want to fail it. Is that right? Um, no, you, well, uh, not necessarily, but you, you are relinquishing agency, aren't you? But, but there's, there's one aspect of it, which is that you don't want to pass it. Because otherwise, if you, you, if you, if you pass it, you're, if you pass your sanity check, yeah, this is it. If you pass your sanity check, you realize what is going on. And when mm. you realize what's going on, it makes you more mad. Right. right? So if you yeah. fail your sanity check, you go crazy, but you don't, you didn't quite figure out what was happening. Is, is that how it? Yeah, happened? I think, I think, I think it is. I think it is. There's some, so there's some kind of just reverse of the mechanic a little bit. Mm. Same with, same with, you know, failing when you, when you advance a, a skill. If you fail it, you can, you can go up. So I, just that popped in my head that there could be something, there could be something funny there where you, you don't want, you don't want to pass you don't want to resist the spirit mm. coming into you. The last point about this is what I think is interesting about it is that it creates a really interesting intermediate between the GM and the players. The, the spirit is kind of like a half GM and even in the game world, they are kind of in a meta realm. So structurally, that's also quite interesting. Mm. Yes. Um, I'm just wondering if, I don't know whether it kind of uh, limits this idea, 
But having that as being all part and parcel of being a, a shaman, you know, because there, there was this idea that, you know, if the shaman's not a spellcaster, then what is he? Well, he's this entity that can transcend the physical world and affect ah. it from other so, angles. So if the shaman can have that transcendental out-of-body experience, then then they get themselves into a momentarily privileged position to do something. Mm. Yeah. The, the, I, th- I mean, I think that all sounds, all of this sounds really great to me. I think the challenge there is someone might say, that's pretty powerful magic. Yes. But something about the explanation there that you, the, the mm-hmm. way you've kind of couched the mm-hmm. idea that mm-hmm. is really appealing. Mm. The, the thing I, what I, what I liked about this, or oh, they can only do that when, when the dice roll in their favor. So, so you have these, these moments when the veil is, is, uh, is parted, if you like. Um, and, and what I think, I, I guess what I was thinking, uh, what I thought maybe it could solve is that if a player is playing that spirit, then they are occupying this weird realm mm. and, and, and are separated from both the rest of the group, but are, are in that benevolent role and, and also from the GM. If one of the players on, if the shaman on the ground can also spring into that spirit position, then that's where I wonder if someone says, yeah, but that character is allowed to be in the phenomenal concrete world and in the spiritual realm. And then when they're up there, they can do all of this other stuff. And, and that's where I think I, I wonder if someone would like Tom might say, well, that's why it's the only game in town, the shaman. That's where, <laughs> that's where all of the stuff is. Yes. The, yeah. The spirit I was imagining is kind of, nicely imprisoned somehow but um i i i absolutely i think this getting this again it's this 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 tiny little this this the little the 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 god what do you call it on the scale uh the little the pin what the sort of indicator the, the indicator uh, yeah you know getting that right is so hard because we know from from the world now and from the past that that shaman can in some sense traverse other dimensions other realms mm-hmm. in 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 some sense they can have astral flights yes and 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 for us to to get that right is that's 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 the that's the million dollar question, isn't it? And so, you know, when you say, it, wouldn't it be great to have to be able to give the shaman that opportunity to have these great moments of transcendence, could be very interesting. Mm. I'm just I'm just thinking about the the kind of the spirit 
character that you mm. talked about that was part GM that, that a large part of their I, I, to a large extent they would be an observer and there would only be certain moments where they could really interact with what was going on well see I was wondering if it would be possible that when you've gone when you you know when everyone has their turn the spirit also has a turn mm. but it seems that the, the the frequency at which they can actually do anything with their turn is I don't know. Well, okay, okay. So let me give you just one tiny example here that just comes to mind. Let's say we have a forest tribe, and so the spirit is a forest spirit. Um, they on their turn, they might try and get a a, a flock of birds mm. to fly somewhere. Yes. Perhaps as a signal or to distract. Mm, that's interesting. Someone. Yeah. Uh, but what might happen is that it doesn't work. So they're they're always trying to. I, it still it strikes me as it could be a, a frustrating position to be yes. in quite a lot of the time because you, everything you're trying to do is yeah. very difficult to achieve. When it works, that, it's fantastic, but a lot of the time you're failing. Now, Joe, I think, is quite up for that, but but mm. that is exactly that is exactly the weak spot of that idea. Absolutely. Mm. I'm wondering whether that player, I don't know whether it makes them too powerful to be playing the spirit and the shaman. Well, that that's that's the question, isn't it? That is the question. Yeah. But to, but I think also connected to that is maybe just the 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 value in using the the tribe's shamanic identity to construct their their spirit, their guardian spirit, and the yes. type of origin stories that they might have. And you know I think there's a lot of really nice work that we can do around that, and maybe we'll give us some further pointers. Indeed. Um, is, is that a good place to leave it? It's, it's, uh, it's a wonderful place to leave it. Well, thank you very much, Barney. Thank um, you, Spencer. It's been a real pleasure being able to talk to you. And, um, yeah, there's certainly, yes, a lot to consider there, a lot to play around mm. with. Mm. Wonderful. So I, 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 yes, I look forward to our next exchanges. Thank you so much, and um, all the best to you guys at home. Oh yes, thank you very much. On thank the you. threshold of life, breath. I should say you already got mm. life in spades. Breath, new <laughs> breath, will be taken soon. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you, Spencer. Thank you very much, Barney. Thanks for that. Bye-bye. Uh, bye. Bye. So, as I said previously, I've already received some feedback, and I'd like to share that with you now. Yo, dude, I am loving all this discussion. It's fantastic. Uh, sorry to keep 
you know, keep it going. But something just dawned on me. It's like 4.20 in the morning. Sweet. Uh, but something that hasn't gotten brought up yet by me or I don't know if by you. I'm not quite finished with the second episode of you and Barney yet. But that specific session we played in was basically a combat session like a very action oriented session and i think that is coloring the the feelings that you and tom are having about the magic possibly possibly uh yeah like i think in a different environment the magic would feel different instead of so concentrated because we're in this fight I don't know. That's just something that dawned on me right now. Anyway, man, peace out. Joe Richter there from Hindsightless and Wheel of Woe. And I really appreciate that message, Joe. Certainly something to bear in mind. And um, I was going to say that in the, the previous session I was involved in, where I had concerns about the power of magic, wasn't so combat oriented it wasn't but it actually it was it was a confrontation and it wasn't until things started kicking off that the the magic was brought into play in in that kind of combative sense and um yeah yeah something to bear in mind and something to consider if if magic should be used in such instances like that. You know, I think this comes back to the whole instantaneous spellcasting thing and what Colin was talking about in um, having kind of magic operating on a different time scale. But th yeah, thanks for your message, Joe. Certainly uh, something that I don't think we... I don't think we considered directly. Having uttered the words safer fantasy crafting, I inspired the man himself to leave a message in which he shares all kinds of wonderful ideas. Take it away, Safer. Hello there, Spencer. It's just Safer. I just wanted to send you a message about your recent... Um podcasts about magic and alluvial planes um i did hear you mention my name in your latest podcast you did say uh, my full sunday name of safer fantasy crafting and uh, most people just say safer but uh, if you say my name like that that is the magic spell that summons me um so here we are but i was going to say about the things about you at the angle that you're taking the sort of secular angle is something i would probably take as well it's what i would appreciate because i'm not really a religious person and i would appreciate a sort of rational approach or reasons for the game but i think in gaming terms actually um spencer i don't think it's important the cause for the magic i think you're concerning yourself with why the magic works so you're thinking about the cause of the magic when i think really as a game designer you only really have to worry about the effect of the magic so, I mean, like, I always used to like the sort of the original Fallout games had a um, a very secular approach to uh, fantastical things. So, you know, it was a post-apocalyptic world where people had become primitive and savage. But there was all these leftover technologies left behind. And they were the cause of 
some magical effects. So there was underground noises that they attributed to spirits, which was just old machinery that had been left behind that was rumbling on by itself. And um, there was ghosts that they would sometimes see, shimmery ghosts, when actually it was just people with um, stealth boy devices, like invisibility devices, sort of uh, like light diffractors. Which is feasible because I've I've seen like in our world there's there's an invisibility cloak which diffracts light around it, but this was just a little box that would create an energy field that would diffract the light around it. So there was that concept in the original Fallout games that all these mystical spiritual effects that people were perceiving actually had just a sort of rational or pseudo rational, a pseudo scientific reason behind it. The truth was a lot of the the reasoning was quite fantastical and was more believable in a sort of pseudo-scientific way but really wasn't really possible in our world either they were describing like laser cannons and plasma cannons and things which doesn't exist it's just seemed a more scientific rational version than the purely spiritual one but regardless as someone who appreciates that somebody else might not somebody else might want the spiritual reason and cause for these effects in the game so you've got to think about your audience um and so I think the critical thing is not to worry about the cause and only just concentrate on the effects and, and and think about what effects you actually want to have in the game, what effects you want to be capable and possible in the game and leave the causation of them effects down to your audience. Let them decide how it actually works or what flavour they give it. So perhaps do research into the kind of magics that exist in this world and the sort of effects that you can expect from them. I think you and Barney were saying how you wanted different tribes to have different preferences and different types of magic. So you've got things like voodoo, you've got chi, um, haven't you? So, you know, if you want to think of it rationally, you could think of, say, like psychosomatic effects. There's even the concept of, like, the, the, the techno wizard, isn't there? I think, was it Arthur C. Clarke who said any te sufficiently futuristic technology would be um, indistinguishable from magic to a primitive culture? Well, um... That works actually in the other way. A shaman is a bit of a techno wizard, really. If a, if a shaman's using like chemicals, drugs, hallucinogens, powders, he's a bit of a techno wizard, really. He's having, a, he's, he's creating a real, a, a mag, what people perceive as a magical effect, but he's using a rational scientific process. He's using chemicals, whereas we would see as a techno wizard is probably using electronics and physics. But it's still the same concept. So you could have different tribes. So you could have tribes that might rely on herbs and hallucinogens and chemicals. You could have tribes that perhaps rely on um, the psychosomatic effect, the the, the placebo effect, the, the the fact that people believe it. And if you analyse the different cultures around the world, so you've got like chi, you know, so you could have different effects. Like what, you know, some people believe that using chi that can make the skin like stone, which would give them a defensive bonus. Some people believe they can create small fires with the hands, just limited, or perhaps even levitating, I think. But again, even in Chi there, if you were wanting to sort of like a low-key magic that's in keeping with how it appears in the world, even with the sort of Chi masters, there's a, there's a consequence to using Chi. If you show off, you're not meant to display it. Your ancestors or your teachers uh, frown upon you and, and punish you for uh, behaving in that manner. You've got like voodoo, you've, you've got chemicals, you could have hallucinogens which would cover a lot of effects. You've got like kung fu masters, old kung fu masters who can throw their pupils 20 foot across the floor 
and you think, well, are they actually able to do it? Are they actually really just flowing through them across the floor with a flick of the hand? Or is it just that the students are so devoted to their tutors or so fearful of them uh, and don't want to break the illusion that they're throwing themselves across the floor? But who cares? Who cares what the cause is? All we have to care about is the effect that this guy was thrown across the floor. So, like, in the game that you had with Joe, um, yeah, his description of drawing power from the water and throwing the water at the guy and flooding them that might be uh, something that you don't want to happen in the game because it's too overtly magical but you could still say yeah he, he, perhaps if the guy threw some powder in his face and then splashed some water at him he, con- he, he, he would be convinced through an hallucinogenic effect that he'd been washed away so you could just say perhaps you know, what sort of powers would be possible through magical means uh, what effects would be possible so perhaps like knocking someone over is is a, is a possible thing a shaman could have the power to knock someone back either with chemicals with auto suggestion you know you could have so like if, if someone in the same tribe as the shaman would be susceptible to auto suggestion psychosomatic effects but perhaps someone from another tribe from another culture would have a saving through or resistance to that sort of effect Everyone would be susceptible to chemicals and hallucinogens, but just go through, just look through different magical effects. Look through, read up on chi, voodoo, and shamanism, and see what effects you want to have in the game, and then leave the flavour of the ga- of of the effect down to the player. And then I think um, Barney's idea of of a really low percentage chance of a certain magical thing happening is quite a nice little novel idea to drop in for players. I mean, it is possible, you know, I once read that um, Spike Milligan's memoirs, and I don't know if you can believe any of that, but he once in North Africa, uh, I don't know if it was him or someone from his uh, unit, there was a German plane flying overhead, and he pointed his finger up like a gun, and he went, uh, he went, uh, crash, crash, you bastard. And he made a shooting noise, and, and the plane actually fell out the sky because it had been shot by another plane. But, I mean, supposed to primitive people, they all thought he had the power to knock out planes. So that could be like the one in the what one in one hundred dice chance something like that. I did it once. I um I was trying to show off when I was younger, I think in front of a group of girls, and I and I and I took a hat off, and I and I threw it behind me, and it landed on a hook, on on a door, and and I couldn't have done it in a million years. I couldn't have done it again if I tried, but it actually did work. It was a one-off chance. So I think that sort of like extreme one-off chances is is. is plausible game mechanic that you might want to introduce you know that sort of like stick the dart and then draw the target round it type effect but um yeah i mean if you just you look at the sort of things that shamans used to do like divination you know throwing dice or bones or um beating a drum or something when you think about the way people play the game that sort of like emergent storyline where narrative control is given to the players something like that like divination is entirely feasible where you could just, if the if the player succeeds in the divination role, you could either just reveal something about the story if you are that prescriptive, but you could just say, well, what you what do you think what is going to be the future, and then you could just change the story to incorporate that as an emerging storyline type thing. Shamans used to have like headdresses and clothing that would give them protection, so they would like have um, deer bone masks and, and helmets and things that would improve fertility but you or you could just have like a, say like a bear skin or a bear head mask that would perhaps give people a bonus to strength 
and 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 they would believe these things, and because they believe it, that, that it would have some effect on them. So I think like the idea of enchanted items having some limited, that idea of improving the dice pool to give a bonus to rules is is a good idea. Or even I mean, shamans always often had rattles to protect against evil spirits. You could you could say that a successful shaman rattle rule could um, sounds like a band or type music in a shaman rattle rule. Um, Perhaps if you if you succeed with your rattle roll, you could um, you could get like a saving throw to defense or something. You could resist other magics or resist chemical effects, resist hallucinogens or something like that. I think there's lots of ways of doing it, Spencer. But I think what you need to do is again concentrate on your effects, decide what sort of effects you want to allow within the game, think of them, sort of group them. Uh, and then leave the flavour of those effects and how they actually are done in the game down to the players. So you know, if you say like knock knock player over, you could have a you could have an effect of incapacitate person. I think humans are going to be more susceptible than magic than say like animals. Uh, animals will be more resistant to like charms, but you could have animal charmers as, as a possible magic effect. But if you, as I say, if you said um, so, like incapacitate person, there could be lots of ways of doing that. You could you could knock the person on the floor. You could make the person have a terrible headache, like he's awful ringing sound in his head. You could make him um, delusional, um, blinded, or what you know, um, seeing flying flowers from hallucination. It doesn't really matter the flavour. It's actually the the effect, the mechanical effect that's important, and I think that's probably the better way to think about it. That's my ideas on it. Um, right, so that's nearly fifteen minutes of garbage for you there, Spencer. I hope it's worthwhile. I don't know if you can do anything with it. But all the best to you, mate. Take care. Uh, and uh, all the best for you and your family in the future. Bye-bye. Thank you, Cypher. Now, if that's the quality of your garbage, I'd love to see what you keep for best. Wonderful variety of stuff. Um, I mean, my thoughts have always been along the lines of things like herbs, enchantments, rituals, all being ways of maybe adding a dice or two to the pool, improving your chances, tipping the balance, that kind of thing, rather than just straight up spell casting. Um, but the, the kind of the feedback I've had from that is that it perhaps not quite enough. It's not special enough. But I wonder, combined with this idea of divination, you know, um, which I particularly like, providing insight or foreknowledge or maybe handing narrative control over to the player, I think that would really work well. Now, I thought it would be worth hearing what Barney had to say about that, so I shared the message with him, and here is what he had to say. Well, Spencer, it's a lovely, bright day so I've come outside to record a quick response to Safer Fantasy Crafting's message about magic. It's really, really a rich set of ideas there that, yeah, uh, need need a good long time to be digested and thought about and played around with so just a couple of very small thoughts 
it's interesting this the way that he talks about cause and effect i think it's really useful really interesting so there's this kind of he associates the the effect with the mechanism and the cause with the setting background fluff now that's interesting because unless I'm getting myself very muddled up I suppose in in life it's the other way around the mechanics uh, cause things to happen and the effect is what we see in the world now like I say I might have got myself in a bit of a uh, got myself a bit confused there um, I don't know I don't know but that's that's one thought the the next thought is about uh, oh sorry my mind's gone completely blank I think what I wanted to say was something along the lines of what safer suggests allows for all kinds of variability which as you know as I've said many times as you know is is a is a key feature of the vantage system and of the way that that we're approaching the world therefore as as an expression of of those core mechanics so anything that allows different ways of configuring things fascinates me and is a, is a source of potential i think um and i think actually that that safer also points to the way that the dials could work which we've spoken about so there could be also not only different combinations but different gradations the last thing i want to say is the kind of ah yes but thing so what safer brilliantly ignores and i mean this positively and genuinely what he just brilliantly ignores is the fact or this this slight issue that if we make the shaman too cool to use Jason's expression if we give the shaman too much power then as Tom put it the shaman is the only game in town the only character archetype worth playing so so Safer's ideas are are, are brilliant and rich and diverse but if that creates if we were to just somehow you know 
add all of those suggestions to what's what's kind of there already, if you like, um, we would have an even more seductive archetype to the exclusion of of the other archetypes. And that's where I think, Spencer, your suggestion about making the shamanic arts more communal or shared or available, freely available to everyone, that everyone has a bit of a shamanic connection could go a long way. So what am I saying? I'm saying I think it's really good and important for us to take on Safer's suggestions to, to, to work out the 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 magic system and at the same time to be really careful that we don't make the shaman over appealing or over attractive to players otherwise everyone will always want to be sh- shaman and we will then end up with a, a mega magic Stone Age setting. So that's that. Uh, fantastic thoughts from Safer. Thank you, everyone. Bye. So, once again, thank you, Safer, and thank you, Barney. Now, first, I wanted to address this confusion. The the thought regarding cause and effect. Now I think this can be cleared up if you consider that the effect is the how and the cause is the why. Or is that the other way around? You're right, it is confusing. Oh, this just in. Hi Spencer, I've remembered what I wanted to say. I hope I'm not too late. So... When Safer talks about cause and effect, um, and that being maybe a difference between the mechanics and the setting, um, without disagreeing at all with anything he says, I do think that asking ourselves what kind of a world we, we want to create, we want to evoke, does have an impact on making sense or having an idea of the types of effects that we want to see. And I think that is very much still the debate. So I think there is still value in thinking about the causes. Bye. Thanks, Barney. So I think Sofa is suggesting that we concentrate on how this stuff works and leave the why it works in the hands of whoever's playing the game. Which, um, I have to say, does make a lot of sense. And it touches on something that I think is key in the sense that I've possibly been thinking about this game from the perspective of a player rather than as a designer. And also, I love the things that 
Safer suggests there, talking about chi and comparable stuff from other cultures. Because I've been thinking about this in quite a secular manner, which I believe Safer considers to be an absolutely fine approach, I think I've also primarily, because I've been looking at folk magic, I guess, that I'm still in this Anglo-Saxon mindset. And I feel that I may benefit by getting away from that. You mentioned the incident again there where Joe's shaman was trying to create a wave coming off of the water that would knock the guy off his feet. And I was kind of thinking, a way of describing that would be just a, a freak gust of wind lifts up some spray off the water, goes into the fella's eyes, he steps back, twists his ankle on a rock, and he's down. All very mundane stuff, but it has the effect that the shaman wanted without even worrying about how the target perceives it. And when it comes through, you know, explaining the whys and wherefores, Arlen Walker is at it again in his latest episode, season two, episode 72, the call-in show of Live from Pelham's Wasteland. He gets a call from, I think it's Brian in the park, uh, talking about the, I think they're specifically referring to the film, in Lord of the Rings, in the Mines of Moria, there's the scene with Gandalf confronting the Balrog. And um, I believe he hits his staff on the ground and yells, uh, You shall not pass! And um, the Balrog steps onto the bridge and the bridge collapses. Now, is that Gandalf doing that? Or is it just a big Balrog on a crumbling old bridge? I thought that was a great example of that kind of open-ended ambiguity that I'm striving for, I think. So Safer suggests a wide variety of stuff there. Barney talks about combination and gradation. And I've also listened to Barney's latest episode about the alluvial plains i think it's possibly part six where he talks to tom barbelay who himself talks about a spectrum of magic being available um, and i feel this all fits nicely into the tribe generation method that barney has come up with also another thing that impressed me about tom barbelay as well is that he's actually gone out and sourced a real-life shaman for his research, which uh, is incredible, incredible work. And uh, please go and listen to that, which Barney made available yesterday. I had a sneaky listen back to the message that Safer left Arlen on, uh, I think it was episode 262, call-ins about Gandalf, and... It was mentioned that because Gandalf is this kind of, uh, is primarily a storyteller, that his highest trait might be charisma, which then got me thinking that, that perhaps 
a shaman might be more like a bard than anything else. And I'm not the only person that had that thought. Hi Spencer, Goblin's Henchman here. Um, so I listened to the latest episode with you and Barney, I'll leave your planes. And the um, this idea of, you know, external magic versus sort of internal magic sort of sort of surfaced in my head when you when I was hearing about it. And I can imagine where a shaman might have, be able to like influence his own followers and people, like, you know, sort of buffing magic rather than offensive magic. I suppose this puts him closer to, say, a bard than, say, a magic user. But, you know, his, his spells, as it were, are chanting it, pump stone side up, you know, rather than, you know, the other way around. But I can imagine it affecting humans. So the your human foes would fear a shaman, but a bear wouldn't. <laughs> a bear's not, not fooled by this kind of idea of mysticism. Um, but, yeah, all interesting ideas all around. OK, cheers. I'd also like to say, on, on, uh, <laughs> to address the point Barney made, it's not that I'm, uh, I'm sorry, it's not that I'm not interested in alluvial planes. It's perhaps that I'm fear that I might be too interested. I've seen a few episodes go up while I haven't been following podcasts, and then I'm scared to dip my toe into the to, into the topic. But I know, I know, <laughs> I feel myself being pulled pulled towards it, like the was it the blood and being dragged under thing that Barney was talking about in this episode. But uh, I think you two are operating a, at a higher plane than me because the only, the only film I can think of is season one, episode 12 of Peter Rabbit, the animated series where Benjamin Bunny finds a lucky four-leaf clover and he attributes that to his success, whereas at, at some point he realised he doesn't have it. All right then, cheers. Hi Spencer, I just had one third of thought keep thinking that the problem I keep hearing almost coming out of you if not said is that when you codify this magic to some degree it loses its mystical quality um now how you square that I'm not sure I keep thinking that maybe the shaman needs a completely different mechanism you know he he throws stones on a pebbles on a drop table or something rather than the standard rolling of dice or he throws a handful of feathers at the DM and he seizes the, the narrative for the period of time it takes for the DM to gather up the feathers or something. Or, you know, some sort of mechanism is operating out of the standard way. Um, you know, mystical. Maybe I'm off target here, I don't know. But um, that sort of keeps bubbling to my head. You need something, Rubik's Cube, something uncontrollable in the air. In Thank you for that, Goblin's Henchman. I'm all too familiar with the problem of all my references being children's TV programs. And yes, you are correct that I do worry about codified magic. I do love the idea of more freeform magic, but I struggle with how you go about doing that. And I've played in games where that has been done quite successfully. Not by myself. But at the same time, the idea of freefall magic seems almost too open. So again, I feel myself coming back to finding the sweet spot between the two. This whole series of episodes has thrown up more questions than it's answered, but there's so much great stuff 
to go over there that it can only be a good thing. So thank you everyone for your contributions, especially thank you to Barney for uh, reaching out and suggesting that we record the conversation in the first place. Well, that's about enough from me, I think. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you so much for your calls. If you want to leave me a message, please contact me via the anchor link in the description. You can always email me or leave me an audio message at spencer.freeforall at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page for Keep Off the Borderlands. You can find me on Twitter and MeWe on the Audio Dungeon Discord and various other places on Discord as Free Thrall. I'd also like to thank TJ Drennan for the wonderful music he provides. And it just remains for me to say, take it away, TJ. Warning, if celebrating the sound of dice hitting the table and pondering the meaning of the many acronyms within your player's handbook doesn't cure that burning sensation, please see your doctor. Okay, could I just do some meta casting yeah. 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 and say that... Um, Slice! Slice! I, 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 <laughs>